like, I don't know, a Christianese type slogan. Like, and there's different Christianese words that are out there. You know, if you want to go witness, you know, that means like go tell someone about Jesus. Um, you know, sometimes you don't use the word, word worship a lot, you know, unless you're in church. Um, but saved is what are going to look at today. But that's really about eternal life. Like, that's what we're really getting at. So the question is really is, well, how can I get eternal life? Uh, what really matters? And so that's what we'll be looking at this morning. And it's kind of the wrong question to think of it as what's good enough, what's not good enough. The reason why we use the word saved is because it implies that we're kind of stuck somewhere and we can't really get out of it. And so we needed to get saved. It's, so being good enough will never really save you. It's just, it's just good. Right? And like the guy from the video, you know, he dug some wells and helped out and did whatever he did. And he was pretty good, but he wasn't saved. Right? And so we're going to look at what that word saved means um, this morning. And we're going to look at the critical elements that are involved because that hit the early church uh, really pretty soon. And it was an important issue. And in fact, it was so important that people at the church, they started arguing about it. You know, the leaders of the church are like, oh no, like what are the core essentials? What really matters? What's really important? What should we really be focusing on? And so we're going to look at that today. So if you got your Bibles, um, Acts chapter 15 is where we are going to be. Acts chapter 15. And saved by faith is what we're going to call it. Because I, and I think that gives a little bit of a clue as to where we're going with this thing. But saved by faith. So Acts 15. And what we do is we have a map up here that you can see as you're flipping. And once you get there, you can kind of take a look at the map that we have up here. Um, essentially, just what I want to show really quick is that, again, the main church that started all this stuff, it's in Jerusalem. Right? When the Holy Spirit came, all the apostles, all like the big wigs and Peter and James and all the head uh, Hebrew guys, they're all in Jerusalem. That's where the head church is. Meanwhile, Paul, Barnabas, these other guys, right? it's kind of like home base for Paul. Jerusalem wasn't really home base for Paul. Another church was. The church that's home base for Paul is up here. In Antioch. So it's a good distance away, three, four hundred miles. So that's where his home base is, and that's where, where, where we are going to be talking about this morning. So just a quick recap, because we're in Acts 15. We had Easter uh, last week, so we kind of had a little bit of a hiccup there. So recap just real quick as far as Paul and what he's doing. Uh, basically, we've already seen he was in Cyprus. We had a run-in with a sorcerer guy. Remember, his name was Bar-Jesus. He had a run-in with this guy. And basically, uh, Paul was there preaching about uh, this Jesus and this like, life of salvation. And he had kind of power with what he was saying. And this sorcerer guy made his living kind of tricking people, deceiving them, having quote-unquote power in a way. And so he didn't really like you know, what Paul was saying. And so he would just come around and just always trying to you know, give in uh, stabs you know, to Paul and really bad-mouthing him. And then Paul just eventually had enough. And he said, you know what? He said, there's nothing good in you. I'm tired of hearing the nonsense. I'm going to show you who the real God is. And he made the guy blind. And then after that, you know, people were like, oh, wow, you made like the head sorcerer, the head guy, you know, you made him, you know, blind. So they share the good news there. And then um, after a while, uh, they got 
word that uh, they were going to get stoned, and so they fled that place. Then they went to this other place called Pisidian Antioch, and basically they went to a synagogue, and they explained the good news, the, you know, the message of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation. And then in Acts uh, 14, where we last left off, uh, they're in Lystra and Derby. Basically, they heal a man, a lame man, he couldn't walk. So they tell him, get up and walk, and he starts walking around. And then what happens is, after he heals him, the whole town wants to worship him. And they want to treat him like gods. And they say, oh, you're Zeus, and you're, you're uh, Hermes. And, and uh, Paul was going to be Zeus, because he was like the main kind of talker, and Barnabas is Hermes. And they wanted to worship him, because they just did such an amazing thing. Uh, and then they're like, no, no, you can't do that. You know, we're just men. It's just God working through us. You know, he can work through anybody. You know, that's the point of this thing. And that's what's going on. So they get into that whole story. And believe it or not, by the end of that, Paul actually gets stoned. Like, these, these guys come in and, um, again, they pervert the message that Paul and Barnabas are putting out there so much that they rile everybody up and Paul gets stoned. They think he's dead, so they drag him outside the city. Um... And the disciples says they come together over him. They're probably praying over him and uh, trying to help him out. And he eventually gets restored and he goes back into the city and keeps. He doesn't stop. Like, this guy's just a machine. He's just he's focused. And then basically they close up their whole trip and they visit all these same areas all over again just to see how everybody is doing. And so now we pick up in Acts chapter 15 where they get back really Paul's home church. Right? The one that was in Antioch. Remember that was the one that was above Jerusalem? So now they just got back there. And this issue comes up. This issue of saved, salvation, eternal life. What is the deal? What does it really take? And you would think that at a church they'd have that ironed down pretty good. But hey, you know, they're humans and uh, they had some questions. They're a little bit tripped up with some things. And so they had an issue that they had to deal with. So we're going to pick... Up in Acts 15, verse 1, we'll see what it says. It says, Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So you see right away, bam, we're in it. Verse 1. Here's what they're saying. Basically, unless you become Jewish, right? I mean, if you're not born Jewish, how do you become Jewish? Well, God gave them the covenant of circumcision, and so if you were to become circumcised, then you could be like part of uh, the His- Israel Hebrew nation. Even though you're technically by blood, you're not. God kind of gave you a way to get in there. And so these guys are saying, if you really want to be saved, quote unquote, if you want to have eternal life, you have to get circumcised. So that is... It's a big issue. So in verse 2, it says, This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute. Right? So Paul and Barnabas, the guys who were working together, it brought them into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem. Right? So now they're going to go back to Jerusalem where like the head Israel Jewish people are. They're going to go there. And they're going to see what the apostles and the elders have to say about this stuff. So it says the church, the one that was in Antioch, they sent Paul and Barnabas on their way to Jerusalem. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything 
God had done through them. So we see right away the main issue, and it really hasn't changed too much today. Okay, how do I get to heaven? Right? How do I get eternal life? What does it take to get saved? People want to know. Does it take being baptized? As long as you're baptized, you're going to heaven. Are you getting saved? Right? Uh, we went to a confirmation the other day. As long as you go to confirmation and go through it, does that guarantee your spot in heaven? As long as you tithe and give your money regularly to church or to some ministry, is that going to get you into heaven? If you fill your lifetime really with quote-unquote good deeds, is that going to get you a spot up there? You know, are you good? What is it, bless you, what does it really take right to be saved? This is not a new question. This is a popular problem. As we go through life, you know, essentially we're going to get to the heart of what it takes to be saved. I mean, we just had Easter. And it takes a faith in Christ. The title of the message is, right, Saved by Faith. And so this guy over here, do you know who that guy is? Any guesses? Shakespeare. (laughs) It's Martin Luther. Right there is Martin Luther. Right? And so he had to deal with this same issue really says unless you dot 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 right people are always trying to put burdens and extra trips on people as far as what does it take to get into heaven the church or Christianese word is justification justified what does it take to be justified before God so that way I'm clean before him and I can get into heaven what does it really take so Martin Luther had this same battle he had the same battle with the Catholic Church. Grew up in the Catholic Church. Uh, went to seminary. Actually even became a professor. But struggled with a lot of the things that they were doing. And a lot of the emphasis that, emphasis that they placed on certain things. And so eventually, what he came to find out, which was completely radical, was that the only way you get saved is through a faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only way you get in there. It's just grace that God gives us through us just believing in what Jesus said and what He did. I, totally radical. Because they're used to having to go through sacraments. In fact, they even had to pay for some penance that they did. Actually pay money for it. Catholic Church made a lot of money off of that based on the sin that you did and they were able to build a lot of nice buildings and do things. Um, and he saw, and you know, you could buy, you could actually buy church positions and offices within the church if you had enough money you could get a certain position they called that simony um, and so he saw all these things and he was kind of at the heart of it like I said he went to seminary too and he became a professor and he just knew it wasn't right so what he did is he latched onto some verses from the Bible right what we're talking about this morning is what does the Bible actually say about having eternal life and being saved I mean, we could go outside right now and we could ask people, what do you think it takes? I don't even know how many would believe in a heaven and a hell, but let's assume that we came across some people that believed in a heaven and a hell and we were to ask them, what does it take to get into heaven? We'd get all kinds of answers. And a lot of people have a lot of opinions on it. So this morning, what we're doing is we're just looking at strictly what does the Bible say? I mean, that's pretty much it. Because our position here at Calvary Chapel 
is that we think that the Bible, that the Word of God is infallible, error-free, and yes, it goes back hundreds, thousands of years, but we trust that God preserved it exactly the way He wanted, and He had the people writing down exactly what should have been written down, and it's the way God intended it. That's, we, just, we say that in faith right from the outset. And so when we talk about this phrase of eternal life and being saved, well, what does the Bible actually say? I mean, we can come up with a lot of opinions, but we just want to know just what does the text say, right? Just what does the text say? Because that's what we want to go by. And so that's what he did. He goes back to the text. Martin Luther, great movie, by the way. If you have some time this week, you can actually watch the title of the movie is Martin Luther. And I forget... I think it's Joseph Fines or Fens. He plays the main character. Good movie, and it's pretty accurate too. And I think you'd like it, so you could actually see what Martin Luther was battling, man. Because, I mean, at that point in the 1500s, you don't go against the Catholic Church, and just the world—it was just caving in on him. Uh, and he ended up marrying a former nun, and it's just—it's just an awesome story. So if you get a chance, you got Netflix or Blockbuster or something, you, know, you can maybe check out the movie, but learn more about his life. And then, so now we get the Lutheran church from this guy. You know, this guy, he was radical. Huge. So he went by the text, what does it mean to be saved? Well, we already read in Acts 4.12. It says that salvation, right, saved, having salvation, is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So right away, that's Peter that says that. He stands up and he says, hey, listen, here's the deal. Salvation and being saved... It is found in no one else. In nothing else. There is no other person. There is no other way. The only way is through this guy, Jesus Christ. That's why Easter is such a huge deal. Now Paul himself, when he's writing to the Romans, here's what he says. Well, how does it happen? For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Right? So it's just something that you have in your heart. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And then later on he goes in verse 13, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the way it works. I don't see anything up there about giving lots of money. I don't see anything about digging lots of wells. Um, being a good person, I don't really see that part in there. It's about believing in your heart what Jesus did, what He actually did, confessing with your mouth, and then hopefully you have a lifestyle that changes because of that. I mean, that's it. That's it right there. I don't see confirmation in there. I don't see any other baptism. Don't see it in there. This one right here. Ephesians 2.8. Paul writes this one again too. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, right? This is the theme. This is how you get saved. This is how you get eternal life. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. So right from the outset, we're seeing, right in verse 1, that was the question. How are they going to save? Well, they have to be Jewish first, and then they can get saved, right? Or, um, you know, you have to have you know, perfect attendance at church first, or you have to do the new believers class, or you have to give some money here, or you have to volunteer there first, and then, right? No, no, that's just, that's not the way it works. Not the way it works. 
And that's what these guys are trying to figure out. So let's get back to our story here. Because basically, what are they going to do, right? They decided, they struggled. Even Paul and Barnabas, they were fighting amongst themselves. You know, so they're, they're on either side of the fence. Oh, you know, maybe it's a good idea. Yeah, I think they should maybe be Jewish and it'd be easier. But no, they shouldn't. I don't think so. You know, God came and spoke to these guys um, who weren't circumcised and weren't Jewish. So, I don't know. So let's see what the head apostles and head elders, let's see what they say uh, when they get there. So let's go to verse 5. It says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, the Pharisees were like guys who were kind of experts in the law. They stood up and they said, The Gentiles, right? So it's sort of, you know, they're all there, the apostles, the elders, these guys, Pharisees. Um, they stand up and they say, The Gentiles, they must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So they say, You know, that stuff has to happen. Then they can be saved. So in verse 6, it says, The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, so this is something they really labored over. This wasn't an easy thing for them. Peter got up and addressed them, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that He accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, right? So that's something we want to notice right away. The way they're thinking about it is, well, hey, you're probably saved if God's going to give you this gift of the Holy Spirit. If He gives that to you, that's evidence that you're going to be saved. It says in verse 9, He made no distinction between us and them, for He purified their hearts by faith. Right? So I would even underline that in the Bible, have that highlighted in mind, for He purified their hearts by faith. That's what it takes. Being saved, getting eternal life, it's by faith. So in verse 10, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Right? And so He's coming out and saying, Listen, we had the law of Moses. We had everything that God gave them. The Ten Commandments and everything that went with that. The whole first five books of the Bible. right? We have the Torah. We got the law. We couldn't hold it up. And now you want to put it on them? You know, we know we can't do it. We know we can't do it. And so we're saved just like they are, just by faith. So in verse 12, it says, The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Baal Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles, right? That's us. Through them. Verse 13. When they finished, James, this is like the half-brother of Jesus, who, interesting story, you know, he wasn't even really, quote-unquote, saved or a Christian early on. It took after he rose from the dead. That's when, so he wasn't even really believing that his brother was who he was until after he rose from the dead. So now he speaks up. And he says, Brothers, listen to me. Simon, also Peter who was just talking, has described to us how God at first showed this concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for Himself. He says, The words of the prophets are in agreement with us as it is written. So he quotes Amos here. I don't know when the last time you heard the book of Amos was. But now you get a passage from the book of Amos. It says, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. 
Its ruins I will rebuild, I will restore it. That the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. So basically, Amos is saying how the Gentiles will now bear his name and be followers of God. So that's now, they've, they've kind of come to the understanding, yes, it's by faith that's how you get saved. And so now they're trying to figure out, what do we do? Because here's the dilemma that they're facing. One is they had to figure out what's the deal. How are we going to approach the whole saved and eternal life issue? Now they kind of, they've figured it out. It's, it's purified through Christ and faith alone in Him. That, that's just the way that it works. This other stuff is other stuff. It's just, it's other stuff. You can't add to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You can't do it. If you could, I'd now just devalue what He did at the cross. I mean, there'd be other, no, no other way to get in. So they're faced with this dilemma. They figured that out. But now there's these other guys going around. Right? There's people that followed Paul and Barnabas around these other places that they were at. They call them Judaizers. They followed them around. And when they got somewhere, Paul and Barnabas would share, talk about stuff. And then they would come in, and they'd be like, no, 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 he's not right. You know, they kind of corner people. and be like, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. You know, and then they pervert the message, and they lay these heavy guilt trips on them. And then people are just like, what? I don't even know what I'm doing now. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? So these guys would follow them along and do that. Each place. And so that's how come you hear Paul gets stoned. How did that happen? Well, these Judaizers are there. They're, they're spreading this like cancerous like stuff. And so they followed them from place to place. And now, of course, they're at the places where Paul and Barnabas were just where before. So now they're figuring, oh, geez, how are we going to handle that stuff? So here we go in verse 19. They say, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead... Here's what they say. We should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So basically, we're just going to tell them a few things. That's it. We're not going to lay trips on them. Try not to eat the food that people offered up to idols because people might kind of have a hang-up on that. Right? If you just offered up, let's say... Uh, you know, somebody just offered up some pigeons for something to some, you know, God that you don't know about that you think is like, you know, from the devil, from Satan. You know, do you really want to sit down and eat it? Well, a lot of people don't feel comfortable with doing that. So they said, hey, try and stay away. And it happened a lot. So that's why they're saying just stay away from it. Sexual morality, hey, keep it clean. At this point in time, you have the Greeks and, uh, you know, sexual fornication, lust. Oh, it became a way of worship. They thought they were worshiping God when they are doing half the stuff that they were doing. So like, hey, stay away from that. Keep that clean. And again, they say, stay away from like drinking blood and doing that kind of weird stuff because they would do that back then too. So as far as those things, like, that would be helpful if you didn't do that stuff. That would be helpful. And so in verse 22, that's what they decided to do. It says, Then the apostles and elders met with the whole church they decided to send some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So they'll go back to Paul's home church. And they also chose a couple guys to go with them. They chose Judas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. And now here's the letter that they sent and that they would bring to the churches and tell people. So verse 24, We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed 
to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of Jesus Christ. Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and sexual morality. You will do well to avoid these things. And so that's the letter they're bringing. Hey, listen, these other guys showed up. We didn't send them. They weren't authorized. They weren't coming from us. You don't need to do that stuff really to be saved. To make it easier on yourself, keep it pure. Don't have the sexual problems. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. And don't like be drinking blood of stuff. Like you're just you're gonna get messed up. Don't do that. Other than that, follow what they say and what they're preaching. That's how you get saved. That's how you get eternal life. So in verse 30. It says the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. So they get there, and people are just, they must have taken a deep breath, being like, oh man, I don't have to get circumcised now, and now I'm glad I don't have to go through all these Jewish rules and stuff just to you know, get on the same page with Christ and have eternal life. But then they're there, and they're encouraging them and building them up. You always see the early church, that's, they spent a lot of time encouraging, building others up. You know, you're in a bad place and around some people that aren't real good if they're always constantly trying to tear you down, load things on you and try to manipulate you with guilt. God is probably not really at the center of that thing. They're probably more interested in controlling what they want out of you instead of having you having a flourishing, blossoming relationship with Christ. And so we close up here. Verse 36 says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns, right? Let's go tell everybody. Let's give them this letter where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, the guy who wrote the... uh, John from before, also called Mark, right? But wrote the book of Mark. But Paul didn't want to uh, take him because he actually left them on their first missionary trip. They were about to go to their first place and John Mark just took off for some reason. So Paul's like, don't bring this guy. Like We can't count on him. Barnabas is like, no, I want to bring him. So verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, sailed for this area of Cyprus. Paul took Silas, went somewhere else. And they went through this area of Syria, Cilicia, strengthening these churches. So another interesting aspect that we see is you see like this, they had, they're not like foreign to conflict and disagreements. Right? They had that before, right in the very beginning, they were arguing about, you know, let's take to get saved, and now at the end here, Barnabas is like, let's take John Mark, you know, he wrote, you know, he wrote the book of Mark. Well, he couldn't say that, right? Because it didn't happen then, so that was supposed to be funny. It wasn't. So, uh, so he's like, no, let's not. Let's not take him. He deserted us. And so basically, Paul takes another guy, heads this way. He takes that guy, heads that way. And, you know, they're going to try and make it work. They're going to try and make it work. But it's nice. We find later in the book of Acts, they, they mend their differences. And they make it right and they get along better. So, a couple things. What can we take away? It's 2011. Right, it's 2011. What can we take away from this a little bit? Um, 
first thing. Can we get that first one up there, Josh? Here we go. One application that will certainly be helpful for us. Try not to, uh, I'm supposed to say fall. Try not to fall into the unless you dot 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 trap. Try not to fall into that trap. Um, Because we can even do it with ourselves. Uh, we can think that unless we really had, you know, our, you know, one hour, 45 minutes of, you know, Bible reading and our 17 minutes of prayer and our one worship song in the car, like, we can just get, like, all weird and then just think that, like, God isn't happy with us unless we're doing those things and carry around a lot of false guilt about that. Um, or we can get, you know, be around just a circle or a church or a group of people that's trying to add things to it. Uh, I was hearing a uh, pastor guy talk the other day about how uh, it might have even been Chuck Smith actually Chuck Smith is kind of like the starter of Calvary Chapel churches and, and that's what we are and he's in California and he was ta- I think it was him he was talking about how uh, in the 70s they had what's called the Jesus movement and they just had a lot of hippies you know they had a lot of hippies they had long hair you know no shoes but they were committing their lives to Christ that they were just doing it like just like crazy numbers and they're in California, they're near the beach, so they could do baptisms. Bam, right there at the beach. It's kind of nice, pretty convenient. And so they were doing a bunch of baptisms that day, and some guy had a bunch of them cornered uh, in a little area. And they're like, you know, um, the way you got baptized, uh, that's not right. He was saying that they had to get baptized, and they had to add these other things to it. They weren't getting baptized the proper way, so it didn't really count. And it said that Chuck's noticed him in the corner. And he said that he ran over there. And uh, he goes, and he could just tell by the way he was pointing fingers and looking at him and the people's faces were like kind of confused. He goes, you get out of here right now before I do something I'm really going to regret. You know, and then they just usher the guy right out of there, you know, because he's trying to protect, you know, the people that, that are there because, you know, that's kind of his flock. And, you know, they think of a pastor as like a shepherd of a flock. And so someone's trying to come in take advantage of the sheep like that's not right you know he's trying to protect me like no don't load this on them that's not what it's about it's not what it's about Um, the second bullet point there after having a saving faith there has to be also be a living faith so I kind of what I did is I kind of put two ideas of this word of faith in there saving faith meaning to be saved I hopefully by now we know we can take away from this morning at the very least to be saved means that you believe in your heart and confess in your mouth that Jesus is God. Hopefully we got that one down. After that, what the Bible says is that the Holy Spirit comes in and He just He just rearranges our life. He changes things. He brings things to our attention that maybe we wouldn't have noticed before. He eliminates certain areas of our life and brings other areas in. He convicts us of certain behaviors and thoughts that we just never really even really noticed before. Just certain things come out. And hopefully, if that saving faith was really sincere and we meant that, we're going to start to follow through and have some of those good works, some of that living faith. You know, because it says in the Bible too, hey, listen. Now, there are also those people that think that there's just like some magic prayer that you just say aloud and say, oh, Jesus, yes, I love you and I believe in you, and then you're all good. But then if you live your life like completely contrary to what the Holy Spirit inside of you is trying to tell you a way to live, I don't know. I mean, come on. Come on, let's be honest about that. Um, 
So living faith should really follow. There should be advances and different things in your life that change because God himself that actually lives inside of you is changing. So it's like a living faith, a saving faith, and a living faith. The saving faith makes you justified, clean before God. And how do you actually live out your faith? You know, what deeds and things that you are doing? That's kind of the living faith. And that should at some point follow. Your life should be different. We had people on Easter come up here and talk about when they committed their lives to Christ, what it was like, and then what it was like after, and then where God was bringing them. It was different. It's different. And he talked about how it was different. God has changed them. And then what we'll close with this morning, the last one here. Oh, I don't think I have another one up there. I think we do. One more. There we go. Make your salvation sure. Right? Having a surety of salvation. So absolutely you are unsure at all about your commitment, your walk with Christ, and you're not sure if you're really saved by faith, I hope by this morning you know what that means and what that entails. To actually believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, accept what Jesus did, let Him do the rest of the work. He'll be working through you to do some other stuff to kind of change your life. But, I mean, it's not going to be a million and one things all at once. Little by little, it'll start to show you, hey, get rid of this. Hey, you should stay away from that. And this is where it isn't really going to help. And Make the salvation sure. Because all it takes to get saved is the price that Jesus already paid on the cross. And just accepting that and believing that. And the church I grew up in, they just say, you know, you want to be saved? Consent to be loved. Allow God to love you and He'll just change the rest. So let's stand and we'll close in prayer.